You're listening to Ed Curation, the podcast where teachers talk curriculum. We make it easier for educators to find the resources they need to create fresh, lively, and authentic learning. Welcome to another edition of Ed Curation, where teachers talk curriculum. This is Christy Hemingway, and today I'm excited to have Benjamin Dancer on the show from the Jefferson County Open School. Welcome, Benjamin. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. Benjamin, how long have you been teaching? I've been teaching 24 years. So tell everyone where you teach, what you teach, and to whom. Okay, well, I teach at the Open School in Jeffco in Colorado. I work in the high school, and that means I work with all grades in the high school. We're a preschool through 12th grade school, and I have contact with all those grades, but my primary duties are are to the high school. My title is that of an advisor, which means I have 18 kids who I shepherd through high school and work intimately with to their graduation. And then as far as content areas, you have classes in several different content areas, I think. Am am I right? I'm an English teacher. That's my license. We do a lot of multidisciplinary stuff. So when I teach English, I think of that as reading, writing, and critical thinking. I step way outside the traditional box of what people think of as English to accomplish those goals. Yeah, well, we're going to definitely want to hear more about that later in the podcast. But let me just ask you, have you been at the Jefferson County Open School for all of those 24 years? No, I taught five years at a traditional high school in Jeffco. So I've been at the Open School for about 19 years. And what do you like about teaching in general? What has kept you coming back to teaching for 24 years? Well, I think I'll tell the whole story there. My my first year teaching, I couldn't believe I was getting paid for it. It was really exciting. I was pretty young. I was creating this curriculum, and I was really excited about what was happening. And a couple years into it, at that traditional high school, I started to understand what I needed to do or what the kids needed from me. And I felt like there was a lot in the way. There was a lot of the system in the way, and I felt myself fighting something. And I was really frustrated because I didn't feel like I could meet the kids' needs as well as I wanted to. By five years into that process, I was really upset. I felt like I was a a crusader and I had a, a lot of conflicts with administration. And I found the open school and I just was so excited to find a school that allowed me to meet the needs of my students. I've been there ever since. And how did you find the open school? Did you know what you were looking for when you found the open school? I didn't know it existed. No, I didn't. I knew I I was looking for a place where we could honor kids and, and meet their needs. And I met Arnie Laneberg, who was the first principal of the open school back in the late 70s. He was teaching a class at DU. I was getting my master's degree and he was my professor. And as a homework assignment, I was complaining to him about what I felt like was in the way, what I what I wanted to accomplish and why I couldn't help my students. And he sent me to do a project at the open school. And I was stunned. I just couldn't believe what I saw there. And now I'm there. So what the open school is known as 
is an expeditionary learning or experiential learning school, which I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but when the open school was founded, those terms weren't even really being used commonly. The open school was kind of a pioneer and those terms later emerged or evolved from the kind of learning that the open school provides. Am I right about that? Yeah, I think that's fair. There was no alternative school. That language didn't exist back then. It was it was the first. So this we're talking mid-70s when a group of parents approached the school board in Jeffco and pitched this radical idea where you have a school that prioritizes relationships and travel. And they asked that rather than finance a sports program, that the district finance a fleet of vehicles. And they had this, what sounded crazy at the time, this idea that you are moving kids throughout the world for their education, and it's not taking place in a building. And the school board was excited about it. It's a, you know, once in a thousand year, yes. Those parents got a yes. They started the school. They hired Arnie as the principal. They hired the first staff, and that staff created much of the foundation of of what I do today. And so rather than come on the podcast, which is kind of what our normal, our average guest comes to share a particular curriculum resource or instructional resource, you've come to share more of a movement or a philosophy around teaching and learning, which is now known as expeditionary learning. The Jeffco Open School is advertised as a viable, vibrant, and life-changing alternative to conventional schooling. And can you boil that down for our listeners who aren't familiar at all with expeditionary learning to maybe three or four key features? What characterizes this approach and how is it different from the conventional schooling that you started out in as a teacher? Yeah. Let's start with that I don't see the classroom as the place where learning happens. I see it as a place. You know, there's, there's a value, there's a role a classroom plays, but it's really limited. We see learning taking place out in the world, and we do everything we can to get the kids to see that too and, and get them to engage their whole life as learning. So to do that, we take a lot of trips. As a matter of fact, we begin the school year with a trip. I initiate the new students into my advising by taking them to the Mount Evans Wilderness Area for a week. And the first thing a student does when they enter this program is what we call a disorientation. They plan their own trip. They plan their food. Then we take off. We spend a week backpacking. That probably brings up the, the second tenant to expeditionary learning, as I describe it, in that uh, we prioritize relationships. So on that wilderness trip, I'm spending 24 hours a day with these kids, and I know them. There's no hiding. They're being pushed beyond what they're comfortable doing. I'm seeing them when they're hungry. I'm seeing them when they're tired. I'm seeing them when they're happy. And what I see in them in in that week, usually there's a theme that emerges in their lives. And that theme plays out for the next four years as I'm their advisor, and it helps me know what they need, and it helps me meet their needs. I'll give you one other example of a trip we do. When I first started teaching at the open school, I was the Spanish teacher, and the Spanish curriculum then involved a two-week trip to Sinaloa, Mexico. 
where we put the kids in homestays in Teakapon, and the kids lived with a family. They worked with a family. They went fishing with their family. They they did whatever their host family did, and they they learned Spanish by spending two weeks with a family in Mexico. And in my experience, those two weeks of homestays kids learned more Spanish than they did in several years in, in the classroom. Mm -hmm. And so so the trip complements the classroom learning. So you would say that travel and relationships are definitely two, but prioritizing relationships are definitely two of the key components that characterizes. Yeah. Boy. Yeah. I think those two would be the two pillars. Okay. So how do, how is their classroom experience different? Describe a school day in the life of a student at Jeffco Open School. All right. So the structure, the very structure of the day prioritizes these two things, relationships and leaving the building and learning outside the building. So there are classes like one would expect in a school where a student sits in a chair at a table or at a desk in a classroom. And and learning does take that place that way every day. But in our day structure, there's time set aside for advising. And the purpose of advising is for me to build a group, to build relationships, one-on-one, me and the kid, and then a group bonding. So the group has an identity with itself. There are no anonymous students at the open school. And that happens every day where there's structure in place for kids to do social things. There's a triad hour where kids work together for an hour every week on their projects, older students mentoring younger students so that I, as the adult, I'm not the one doing the education of of what our program is. The students are doing that with each other and it happens very organically. There's time in the week where students are asked to leave the building, time during the school day where they're asked to be outside the building pursuing their passion in some form that, that that's not inside the school. And so that's pretty radical to take risks like that and have that much flexibility in the structure where, where the kid's time isn't controlled every minute. And it allows for a certain amount of chaos and creativity. And that's where the magic happens. And my guess is that that's also probably what makes some teachers apprehensive about adopting some of these methods. As I'm listening to you talk about travel, talk a little bit about how Jeffco families and JCOS families and administration handle the costs of the many trips that students take. So as a parent, my own kids are in the school and my advice to my own children is to take as many trips as they can or as they want, because that's the most valuable thing I think they're going to get while they're in high school. The student pays for the trips themselves. Most students work and they're actually paying for the trip themselves. The teachers, I also pay for the trips. So I pay to work. When I do a trip, I'm paying my share of that trip. And the philosophy behind that is that we don't want to put that burden on the students because a lot of kids are are paying for trips out of their own pocket. And we want them to be as economical as possible. So there's a lot of camping. There's a lot of hacks that we've learned over the decades to keep the cost of trips really low. Yeah, that's how it's financed. Talk about some of the hacks. 
I know about some of those because my own son attended the open school and I was always astounded at what you were able to accomplish and provide for the students travel wise for the minimal amount of money that we had to put out as a family. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of that comes from the dedication of the advisors to keep the cost low and our willingness to, to make those sacrifices. So almost every trip is camping. We're not spending money on hotels. We have a fleet of vehicles. And so that helps keep the cost down. The students Every trip we take, we pay into a vehicle fund by the mile that the vehicle's driven so that we can replace vehicles in the future. So each student is paying into a share of that upkeep for the maintenance and purchasing of new vehicles. And we know people all over the world. We have a really, really strong global network of friends who host us, churches, schools, organizations who know us, who trust us, and who host us when we're in town. And other than that, we we know how to cook good food on the cheap while we're camping. Talk about, so you mentioned that when you were in a more traditional or conventional structure of educating in your previous the previous high school where you taught that you ran into some frustrations because you felt like there were missing pieces or that there were things that you weren't able to provide for your students that you wanted to provide talk about what those missing pieces were what did you feel like was missing in that conventional approach yeah i think a lot of my frustration could be summarized in just the idea of giving a grade That's where I ran into conflict with my administration. I I got to the point where I refused to grade my students. Mm -hmm. And being older and wiser now, I can really appreciate what that did for my administrators. And, uh, (laughs) And I have a lot of empathy for the problem I created for them. But in that grade is a power structure that was really offensive to me when I was younger. Because I was reducing, it felt really reductive that I was going to take this really valuable relationship between teacher and student, and I was going to reduce it to a letter that was going to show up on a report card at the end of the semester. And I just, oh, there was just something inside me that felt like that was, it just wasn't what I wanted. What I wanted to do was have a much fuller conversation with each student about who they were, about their growth, about what they needed as writers and readers and thinkers. I wanted a really rich dialogue and conversation that wasn't reductive. When I found out the open school didn't give grades, I just felt like I had to be there. Yeah, no, talk about the way that the open school handles evaluation and assessment and graduation. So it's relationship-based. And it feels like, to me, what we're designed for is human beings. So any classroom, you establish a relationship, and that happens in traditional schools too. But at the open school, the relationship is everything. That's my leverage. Kids work hard in my classrooms, and they push themselves, and they trust me because I've established that trust and that relationship, and they feel seen and heard. And that allows them to take risks. That allows them to overcome some of the shame they take into the classroom, I think specifically with writing. I'm going to say at least 60% of the students I work with on writing come with a lot of shame 
about like being wrong or not knowing how to do it. And that is in the way, like it keeps them from learning because they're afraid of making that mistake. They're afraid of being embarrassed or of whatever that comes up for us when somebody shows us we did it wrong. To be able to remove that obstacle so that the student is safe to stretch themselves and to take risks and has the brain space to learn something new because they're not in a protective stance and there's no grade that's going to come down. All I want for them is to know what they're doing well and to show them one more step of what they could do next to become better. And when it's that simple, here's what you're doing well, here's your next step. It's a really safe environment and I don't have to reduce that to a D or a C or a B. And it's, it's a dialogue with the kid. Do you have a story that you can share of a student who was really set free in their writing, because I think you're right. I worked as, as a writing teacher and a literacy consultant, and I see so much fear around the writing process, even from teachers who feel like they aren't sure how to teach writing because they're not even confident as writers themselves. Yeah. And I can imagine that this approach would just really set some kids free to accomplish things with their writing that they didn't even imagine. Yeah. Even good writers find it hard to teach writing because it's really difficult to break down what it is that makes good writing. A lot of teachers assign writing because they don't know how to teach writing. That would be another conversation, how one teaches writing. But I have a lot of stories. It's every semester I have a kid who just comes to me in tears. Maybe my favorite thing as a writing teacher is seeing on the first day the student who resists it. You can see the body language. You can see that want to act out. They, have, they bring a lot to the room that's to distract themselves from the learning. And you can just feel all that resistance. And I always make the assumption that behind that resistance, there's pain. There's a story there that, that makes sense, makes the resistance make sense. It's satisfying to me to let those kids feel safe and drop their guard. And, and then you see the pride that swells up within them when they see that they are learning it and they feel all that confidence. So that happens on a regular basis. You watch that transformation to I'm resisting, I'm acting out, I don't want to be here to, oh my God, I can do this. This is interesting. I love this. And they become really passionate about their writing. And the writing is a really important piece in their travel experiences. Tell me how you integrate writing into the student's travel. Yeah, and that goes back to the evaluations we were talking about earlier. So every experience is evaluated by the student, and they write what we call an evaluation. And they turn that in at the end of an experience. It could be a page to several pages, depending on you know, what the experience warrants. The students reflect constantly about who they are, about how they're now different, how the experience has changed them, and what's different about them after the experience. There's a formula to that that I've seen over the years, and it's really simple. Kids are reflecting on the content. That's what's happened to them, you know, the specific content of the experience, and then the personal growth. And I kind of think of that as you went into the experience as one person, and what's different on the other side? That's the growth. So they're really adept 
at evaluating what happens to them. And when they graduate, they write their own transcript. That's a 20 to 30 page document where they write about every experience they've had in high school. And they're evaluating what they got out of it and how it changed them. And they do that on a regular basis. And I can attest to my own son. He has continued that process beyond school. He's 20 now. And so two years out of school. And he never goes anywhere without his journal. He documents all of his experiences and ideas. He'll be sitting in a waiting room and crank out an amazing short story. And this is a student who, my son is a student who did not like writing or have any confidence in his own writing until well into high school, prior really to entering the open school. That's interesting that you say that because your son is a gifted writer. He's one of the best writers I've worked with. It was always a pleasure for me to see what he produced and the level of care and craft he would put into his writing was, was, was really exciting. Well, thank you, Benjamin. I don't want to get off on that track because I'll get weepy. But, um, <laughs> but that was a lot of credit to you and your approach to taking the fear and the evaluation out of the work for him. If I'm remembering right, Jefferson County Open School has been around a long time and people come from not only all over the state and the country, but maybe even the world to to study the philosophy and the structure and the approach to expeditionary learning that JCOS has created. But I still think that it's probably not for every student and probably not for every teacher. Who is a good fit? Who is the ideal student? Yeah, that's an important caveat. I think there's not a pedagogy or program out there that's right for everybody. And I think diversity is important. That being said, the open school is right for the vast majority of students. And I'll describe several good fits. It's a good fit for the student who feels constrained, like school's holding me back. I want more out of my education. It's a good fit for the student who feels angry. School is oppressing me. I want to be myself and and school is not letting me or school is dangerous. It's good for the student who doesn't feel safe at their school. And that safety could be physical or it could be intellectual or emotional. I think a lot of kids don't feel emotionally safe at school because it's a rough age. There's a lot going on in the inner lives of students. Student culture can be mean. And I think a lot of us have memories of of how mean and hard the culture can be when we are high school students. The school's a good fit for people who want to travel and have experiences. It's a good fit for students who want to really be known and witnessed and be seen by their teachers. It's a bad fit for a kid who wants to get away with as little as possible and get stuck there. You know, I I see a lot of kids come to the open school with that mentality. I want to get away with as little as possible. I just want to finish without doing it. You know, I want the bar to be as low as it can possibly be. But the vast majority of kids, I'm going to say 95% realize that they're just crushing themselves with that mentality. And when they open themselves up to their passions, that mentality no longer makes sense because what school becomes for them then is I want to engage my passions as fully as possible. 
And that is the experience of the vast majority of students. But I'll tell you, there's always one or two kids who never reach that. The school is not a good fit for somebody who wants to jump through a hoop and, and never becomes alive enough to, to want to engage their passions. How would you respond to critics of expeditionary learning who maybe look at it as not academically rigorous? I just point them to the research. So there's been, you mentioned that people come all over the world to look at the school, and that's true. There are also a lot of books written about the school. Those books can be found at our website. You can just Google Jefferson County Open School. But Rick Posner's book is the one I'm thinking of right now where he he did a lot of research. The book is dated now. I think it's at least 10 years old. But I think the trend would, would be similar if the research was done again now in that our students are really successful. He reports on the percentage of students who go to college, who go to graduate school, who are happy with their careers, who are happy with their lives, percentage of our graduates who are invested in their communities through community service, a real broad range of measures, you know, how happy they are, how satisfied they are. Those numbers pretty much speak for themselves. A larger percentage of our students tend to be successful in college and in life than in a traditional program. Due to, would you say, the, just the holistic approach? Yeah, because instead of fighting a system, instead of just trying to get to my grade or, you know, instead of like the cheats, you know, like we all know how to hack life, you know, how to like get through, you know, the, the BS and the bureaucracy. But at the open school, that doesn't exist. Like, you can't do that. There, there, is not, there is nothing to rebel against. There is nothing to hack. All that is is your own passions. The earlier a person is turned on to themselves and makes that connection to themselves, the clearer their vision is of where they're going. So the kids lose nothing at the open school in terms of college readiness, and they gain everything in terms of life readiness. I love that. That'd be a great byline. So talk to me a little bit more about the advisement group. You've, you've said that students aren't necessarily grouped by grade level in their classes or in their advisement group, but I would love for you to share with our listeners a little bit more about the role of that advisement community and how it functions and particularly around the graduation and final meeting ceremony. Give us a picture of that. Yeah. So just, you know, you prompted me to think about this. It just really swells my heart with love and pride and satisfaction. And I just feel an overwhelming sense of gratitude for my own advisees. So I'll start with graduation and move backwards because we just finished graduation in the COVID era. Typically, we have a final support meeting. Every student gets their own graduation. So the student would invite who they want, family and friends and teachers. And there would be a ceremony about three hours long in which the student is led by me to retell their whole history as a, as a student at the open school. They recount all that they've done. The community takes time to speak to the kids, to honor them, to witness the graduate and laugh and tell stories. The family has the opportunity to do the same. And at the end of that ceremony, when the kid has been fully witnessed, 
the advisor or I get to award them their high school diploma. It is a wonderful, wonderful experience. This year, it was different. I took each of my graduates. They asked for this. They were kind of given several options of how we could handle social distancing. And one of my graduates made this request. He asked, can you go on a hike with me and my dad? And we do the final support meeting with that small group and give me my diploma. And when my other graduates heard that proposal, they wanted the same thing. And so that's what I did is I spent an hour with the student and one parent. We were wearing masks. We walked together and just reflected. And the parent and I just witnessed that kid and honored that kid. And at the end of that ceremony, we awarded the diploma. It was really satisfying. It feels like my job is really meaningful when I'm engaged that way. And in throughout the students' career at the Jeffco Open School, the advisement group is really their family. It's their fam- it becomes their family unit. I remember at the end of my son's final meeting, it was one of the most moving experiences I've had as a parent to have three hours of people just focusing and reflecting to my own son. And I told him, if I could give you a present for graduation, that would stay with you your whole life, I'd find some way to box up this experience for you because you may never get something like this again in your lifetime. And most people never do get an experience Mm. like what you just had to build that student's character. So talk a little bit about what you feel like you accomplish with students. Tell some of your success stories that most stick out in your mind. Right. Well, I think they all fall under the theme that you just laid out. You know, your son was witnessed. And I think it's a need we have. We have a need. And I mean that literally like food and water. We have a need to be seen and known as people. The open school is designed to provide to meet that need for kids. It happens in large measure through advising. So it begins on that wilderness trip where I really get to know the kid, they get to know me. And then it ends in that final support meeting. And then in those middle years, there are really deep conversations where these students lay bare their whole lives, their failures, their triumphs, their girlfriends, their troubles at home. I know them really fully. And I see them in the classroom. I see them in their social groups. I see them as we travel. I see them as a whole person, not just as a student. And, and I'm not just trying to get a subject or an idea into their heads. What I'm trying to do is help them see themselves. So there's just hundreds and hundreds of stories. You know, all of us at the Open School, all as advisors are are experiencing that on a, on a daily basis of kids who are coming, you know, maybe the most dramatic stories and it's commonplace, but they're dramatic is when kids are coming from an environment where they're really not seen and they're really not heard and things are not so good at home. There's been a lot of loss and the kids in a really bad place when they show up at the school. And then this magic happens when a community of adults and students 
witness and see that person and give them a sense of belonging, the magic happens. The need is met. Whatever self-destructive behavior was going on in that student's life just disappears. And it doesn't really take much more than that, than just to have a community where you belong and feel safe. I see that repeated over and over again for decades. It really works. So I'm wondering, the social emotional learning and relational support and seeing kids holistically is becoming more and more of a focus for a lot of districts, given the state of our society right now and the fears that kids have and the isolation that's brought on by social media. And so a lot of schools are focusing on how to address those needs. Talk to the teacher who's listening who's in a conventional or traditional school and doesn't know how to start to incorporate some of these key components because they can't remake their school, right? Yes, this I know. I, I have the empathy because that was me for five years. So you're up against a system that, that doesn't allow for a lot of the things that I'm talking about or it limits them by the very structure of the system. So you got to go big. So I'm going to talk structurally. You got to take the risk and commit resources of time and resources of personnel. A huge chunk of our day, our school day, is about relationships. It lacks structure. It invites the creativity that comes from from chaos. And I mean chaos with a little c, you know, where everything's not rigidly structured to bells. So you got to commit time to it. And my administration sees me as an advisor. They honor me as an advisor. My boss knows that I teach content and wants me to do that. But my primary function is to know and see these kids. And that's expected from my administration. It's expected from the staff culture. I think you really have to go that big. Otherwise, it's really hard in 50 minutes. Okay, let's just describe a traditional high school, or at least how it was for me. I had 50 minutes. I had 30 to 33 kids in the room. And it was really, really hard to get to know them. And as soon as that bell rang, another 30 to 33 kids walked in the room. So I'd have about 150 to 180 kids in a day. Man, it was a challenge. When I was young, I could learn all their names. I don't know that I, my mind could do that today, you know, learn 180 names in one or two days. But man, just to, if it's hard to learn all your students' names, how do you go deeper? And I had, you know, a handful of students that really connected with me in a traditional school. I always had a close ties to a handful of kids, but not to all of them. And there is no anonymous student at the open school. Thank you so much, Benjamin. I know that you are familiar with our platform at Ed Curation and that we feature high quality and curated instructional resources. And that's not a big, big focus in expeditionary learning as far as selecting a specific curriculum or instructional resources. I think that the teachers at JCOS have a lot of freedom as far as what actual tools or curriculum resources they use in their different classrooms. But I'm wondering if you can imagine an instructional resource of some kind that would make your job as a teacher easier. 
Yeah, I'll answer that. And if you want, I can also, after this question, just describe some of the classes I teach so that there's an image painted for anybody who's interested in that. Sure. So this resource, I think, would be about creating community, bonding, how to take a group of students. It would be a curriculum about just creating community. I think that would go a a really, really long way in, in a traditional school, too. A lot of schools have something like a homeroom or an advising period for teachers who wanted to experiment with this. They could take that opportunity and just use that time to build community with the group of kids in their presence. That does take a toolbox. There are skill sets that don't come naturally to to maybe most people. Yeah, for teachers. So, yeah, tell us about some of the classes. All right. So I'll describe some of the classes I've taught recently. What I do, I do have the the amazing gift of being trusted to look at my students and to make decisions about what they need. And every summer, and that's where we're at right now, I'll spend the next eight weeks really reflecting on, on what kids need right now based on what I see happening in the world and in their lives. And I'll design curriculum to meet that need. So last year, I taught a class on trauma. We read The Body Keeps the Score by Basil van der Kolk. I teamed with a counselor at the school, and the book did two things. It went through human anatomy and how trauma affects human biology, including the neuroscience. And then the author lays out specific methodologies that he thinks are good for healing trauma. And I invited experts into the classroom and each of those methodologies in the book. And so the kids were reading this college-level text way, way beyond their grade level. They were engaged in a subject they cared deeply about. Every student in that class felt impacted by trauma in one way or another. And they were meeting experts from the community on these different therapeutic models. And they were thinking, how is it that I want to heal? What would work for me? those sorts of things. Another class I taught this year, my kids were reading scientific papers. As a matter of fact, the two classes I'm talking about right now, anybody can go to my website, benjamindancer.com and look at my blog. And the curriculum for both of these classes is in the blog. The first class I mentioned is called The Eye of the Hurricane. And the class I'm about to talk about is called The Matrix. I wanted students to start examining the stories they tell themselves. This is critical thinking. I wanted them to try to anticipate the consequences of the stories they tell themselves, both good and bad. So we read scientific papers published in academic journals, way, way beyond their reading level, way beyond. But they were super interested in the subject, so they worked their butts off to comprehend this material. And you could read all the texts that I assigned on my website. They were reading these papers that really challenge the way we're used to thinking about our lives. So one paper was discussing that we probably cannot perceive reality as it is, given the limits of our biology. And it was going into the science of that. We were reading some other philosophical texts by Wittgenstein and language games. And then we brought it back to the COVID stuff and body image and made it really personal for the students. So starting really big, challenging, you know, can we really be sure that what we think is true is true? And then getting really small, 
How does the story you tell yourself about the way you look or body image, how is that affecting your life? What are the consequences of these stories? I'll give you one other curriculum. A long time ago, I was teaching the Hunger Games when it was really popular. I had a student teacher at the time, and he was teaching the book, and I was working with kids, and we were making bows. We used files and rasps and draw knives in my classroom, huge piles of sawdust, and (laughs) we made bows. Every student made their own bow. They made their own bowstring. They made their own arrows, and we went and we shot the bows we made, and we read the Hunger Games. So those are some ideas of how a person can get outside the box and really make curriculum. You're still teaching reading. You're still teaching writing. You're still teaching thinking. But you're meeting what I perceive are the needs of the kids at the time and trying to be as creative as I can. So the kids have a very high level of buy-in. That way I can invite them to read things way more difficult than they would otherwise be willing to try. It's so inspiring, Benjamin. I can imagine that some of our listeners are going to want to read some of the resources that you mentioned, find your webpage, learn more about the open school. Where can they do that? There's a lot about the school. If you just Google Jefferson County Open School and then on my website, benjamindancer.com, I post curriculum there at a regular basis. Not everything I do. But stuff, you know, other folks are interested in that I'm collaborating in a community on. I I post that on my blog. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to share with our listeners today and to share all about the open school and the students and the amazing work that you're doing there. And also for being one of my son's favorite teachers of all time. (laughs) Well, thanks for having me and thanks for creating your son. Man, how enjoy! I miss him. That was really enjoyable to work with him. Thanks, Benjamin. And thanks for sharing with our Ed Curation audience today. Okay. Thank you for listening to Ed Curation. We hope you learned something today about a curriculum resource that produces fresh, lively, and authentic learning. Check out edcuration.com to find out more. That's E-D-C-U-R-A-T-I-O-N.com.